Hello, GBC Church family. I trust you're all doing well and in good health as we deal with this shelter in place. We're praying that this order will uh, end soon, and we're glad to have you to take time to view the message today online. And we want to uh, just thank you for your faithfulness in giving during this time that we are sharing of separation. Uh, we continue to support our missionaries around the world, and this morning Sam's going to be giving us an update on what's going on with them. But if you're interested in giving your offerings to our church, you can do it through the church app, or you can simply mail in your offering to Grace Bible Church, 2225 Euclid Avenue, it's E-U-C-L-I-D Avenue, Redwood City, California, 94061. And if you could just put on the envelope, attention treasurer, we'll know it's uh, an offering and it'll go directly to him. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 to 27 today in a message entitled, Paul's Solitary Calling. And we'll be completing, hopefully, uh, chapter 9. But before our message this morning, we're going to have some announcements and some updates by one of our elders, Ken Saragusa. Ken? Well, good morning, GBC family and friends, and welcome to our Communion Sunday celebration. I'm glad to spend the time with us again this Sunday. Uh, we're thankful for another week that God's got us through with all the things that are going on, and hopefully many of us will get back to work this coming month. Um, but we pray that you're all staying healthy and being safe. Um, continuous announcements that we want to make sure that you are aware of, and that is that uh, we're still meeting on Wednesday nights for Bible study, uh, still going through the book of Ecclesiastes. So Steve will send out the information um, prior to that, and you can look at the message before. Uh, we have a little Zoom uh, fellowship time at 7.30 uh, afterwards. Also, ladies, you will continue to uh, meet on Tuesday evenings uh, for your Bible study, as well as Thursday mornings uh, for your prayer time. Um, we're going to be celebrating our Communion Sunday uh, this week, and so we're grateful that, um, unfortunately, we can't get together, but we can sit around our table and celebrate with our family our communions together. Um, Emmanuel is going to be sharing uh, the scripture with us this morning. He's going to be reading out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you would get your Bibles ready and turn there and Emmanuel come and share with us. Emmanuel. Hello everyone. Let's uh, open up your Bibles on uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with deceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, 
so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which, pers which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, the opportunity again to be here, Father, and to hear your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would watch over all of the brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as it has become so easy for us believers to walk away from the Bible. Lord, we get distracted by television, and even though you have removed so many distractions from our lives, Father, we have the tendency to walk away for some reason, Lord. But I pray that you would uh, guide us all, Father, that you would bring us all back together and that we would uh, worship you on Sundays, Father, as we usually do. And remembering that it's not only Sundays, Father, that we are to praise you and to thank you, Lord. I ask that uh, you would guide us all, Father, and that uh, we would be reminded, Lord, that uh, we are not from this world. We are here temporary and Father, I just ask that you would uh, watch over us, every single one of us. And Lord, we wait for that day when we gather together once again, Lord. Uh, I pray for those who have uh, walked perhaps too far away from the Bible where they spend no time at all with you, Father. I pray, Father, that uh, you would watch and guard our hearts, Father, through this time that we may all come back together once this, once this uh, uh, shelter in place is over. So, Father, open up our hearts, prepare us this morning so that we may properly receive your truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask for these things. Amen. As Communion Sunday is always traditional, that we always have a mission update, and our brother Sam Rajkumar will be coming up to share uh, a missions update with us so, Sam, would you come and share with us? Thanks, Ken. Uh, I wanted to give a quick update on our missionaries. Many of them have been in touch with us and wanted to give you a quick overview of how everyone is doing. Uh, we've heard from Veronica, who made it back safely from her home in uh, Washington State, back to Redwood City, to her parents' home, and she's doing well and working from home. Uh, we have heard from some of our missionaries in India, 
Um, I'm not going to use their names, but you know who they are, our, our pastor missionary in Delhi and in Dehradun. And we've also heard from Randy and Edie Nelson. Uh, they are safe back in the U.S. and uh, are, are in Southern California. And we've also been in touch with our uh, ministry partners in Meda in Honduras, and I have a short update on how things are going with them. <clears throat> um, just a quick overview of, from their communication with us. All of them are doing well, keeping well, um, and they all continue to minister both in terms of teaching and also caring for their own people, those, of, those who are in pastoral ministry. Uh, but they're also all finding ways to minister to the communities. Uh, one of the themes from Thailand, Honduras, and India uh, is the impact on people this pandemic has had when their livelihood is taken away. Uh, the need for basic uh, needs like food is becoming desperate, and many of our ministry partners are involved in mercy ministry at this time of need. And uh, after the threat of falling ill, the, the more day-to-day -day desperate needs is hunger, and many of them, as I mentioned, are involved in providing food and supplies to those in need as much as they can around them. So a few updates uh, from our pastor missionary in uh, Delhi, India. Um, he says in an email to us, greetings from New Delhi. Just wanted to tell you quickly that we are praying for you and your country also. Stay safe, but let Christ be worshipped at all times and his gospel be preached in and out of season. My wife, my sons, my daughter, and my brother are doing by, well by God's grace. Kids are doing online classes. It's fun to watch them learning online for the first time. Um, his brother, who is involved with him in ministry, is going out and able to shop for groceries and supplies. Um, his kids, he reports, have not gone out of the home, literally outside their home, um, since early March. So they've been completely quarantined in the home. Um, he mentions that he's doing his part through Zoom, WhatsApp, and phone calls. Uh, he is being able to minister for prayer, counseling, Bible classes, and church meeting. Um, this is indeed the best time to do personal evangelism best quality, quality time for family worship as well as for the church. I'd get, I did get a chance to join the Zoom meeting internationally. Praise God for amazing technology. He reminds us all to take comfort in Psalm 91, verse 5, which says, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. A thousand may fall at your sight, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And uh, he mentions some of some prayer points for us to be praying about. Um, first of all, the lockdown in India, which was supposed to end in mid-April, has been extended. As of yesterday, I'm following the news. It was extended two more weeks. And it is, it is a concern for people in India with 1.3 billion people. They don't know how they will survive for another few months if this continues, so pray for that. Uh, many of his church members uh, who are students and working in Delhi are Stranded, they are unable to get back to the part of the country from where they came. Uh, many of them have lost jobs and are struggling to make ends meet and to pay their rent, so be praying for that. And if there is an opening, he pray he wants us to pray that they can get back to their homes and families as soon as possible. Um, pray for the students in his uh, school. Uh, many of them are there because they could not send them back home. And Jesus, uh, he he's concerned that you know the authorities may cause some trouble for that. So just pray that they will be safe and be able to continue with some of the online education um, uh, for their students in their seminary. <clears throat> and then also pray for his family. 
uh, one extended member of his family lost, lost his life recently, and uh, continue to pray for that as well. Um, he also shared an, an update on how they have been able to reach their community. So they've been able to distribute food items and masks so to some of the people in their community who are in desperate need. Uh, many are given the gospel and uh, praise God for what he's doing through their life, uh, through their team, who are taking risk by going out into their community and sharing the gospel and sharing food and other needs, but they continue to do so. And he ends by saying, we will always remember God uses trials to humble us and for our sanctification, changing us to be more like Christ. And uh, let, let God increase in us and we must decrease in him he says, I give all power and glory, honor and praise, authority and dominion to our Lord Jesus Christ, amen, in the Good Shepherd. So continue to pray for our uh, missionary in Delhi and his family at this time and their ministry and the students. Uh, our next update comes from Randy and Edie Nelson. Last, last month, Ken mentioned that they are uh, made it back to the United States. And uh, they wrote to us saying, it's good to connect with you in, for prayer, that is something we've all been focusing on these days. Our friends in Thailand and Turkana, uh, Kenya, are concerned about those of us in the U.S. as we think about the rest of the world. We are praying for intervention uh, that this virus will end soon because we know he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, Ephesians 3.20. Um, he gives us, they give us an update on the church in uh, Thailand that they minister in Bangkok. The churches have now moved to online services. Uh, their team in Thailand, um, even the friends in Turkana, Kenya, are all staying home with their families. That's true everywhere. And we are scattered in different locations, but staying in touch by phone and uh, internet and message. And some of his staff in Thailand have gone back to their villages and provinces. And it's, it's in their newsletter you can see um, how they have been ministering in small groups with their families in their villages, which is encouraging. Um, and they continue to gather as large families uh, to pray, worship, and hear the word of God, and that's an encouragement to us as well. So pray for all our staff in various areas of Thailand that they be well and be in touch on Christ and our solid rock we stand, Randy and Edie Nelson. So be remembering Randy and Edie as well. Um, I also wanted to share a quick update from our friends in the Dehradun area. Um, they send out their greetings to them and uh, uh, their concern for us. Um, and the letter says, at, the same t at this time, when we read God's word, we have the assurance that our God is mightier than this pandemic. The battle belongs to him. And uh, the letter mentions how they are continuing to minister in their community with their church members. They have made groups on WhatsApp and other tools as they continue to pray and keep connected. They have started to do online services through tools like Zoom. And by God's grace, no one from their church projects or schools have reported any illness. So they praise God for that. Um, some of you have asked how the ministry is doing. They've had to close down the children's home and the schools and the office for an indefinite period. And they are praying that they'll be able to get back um, as soon as they can. And right now, there's about 25 of them on the campus there. Um, you know, the children, some of the children from the children's home and, their, and some of the families and staff all are safe and protected. 
and they are uh, they are thankful that they're able to go outside within the campus and you know do little projects and keep things going they're not necessarily constrained to be indoors all day so they thank they are thankful for that um, they've had some challenges like many of our missionaries unable to you know take care of their staff and pastors um, they've also been asked by the local authorities to provide food and supplies to those in need in their communities so they've been doing that in a couple of areas in the mountains where they run schools so be praying be praying for them and that ministry as well um, finally a short update from uh, Meda, the seminary in honduras um, as with the uh, some of the other areas the biggest need has been providing food and groceries and supplies to their community and Meda has stepped up to be able to do that uh, from, with help from many of their friends. And they have continued to teach the seminary modules via Zoom and other tools. And um, they are continuing to pray for health and the ability to uh, provide the needs for the needs of the people in their community. Um, so that's from Meda. Um, so let's pray for our missionaries and uh, continuing to be remembering them in our prayers throughout the week. Father God, we thank you for our missionaries who continue to minister in all of these lands, who continue to be our hands and feet in the world where we are not able to go right now. And we thank you for each and every one of them that remains faithful to you and to the calling that you have on their lives. We thank you for uh, them and their staff and their people at this time of crisis. We pray for their protection as many of them are going out into their communities as best they can to minister by providing food and other uh, supplies to those who are desperate and in need, that you would protect them. And uh, we pray for the needs of many of them who have seen income and support um, dry up, that you will be faithful and you will be their provider at this time. And Lord, at this time, we pray most importantly that the gospel may be continue to go out through our missionaries as they, as they share the gospel and the good news and the hope that we have in Christ with those that they meet. Um, and allow us to continue to pray for them and support our ministries in this time of need. We just thank you and praise you again for our missionaries. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Sam. It's good to hear our missionaries are doing well out there in the field, around the world, and uh, it's such a blessing to be able to support them from our home base here. Well, today we find ourselves back in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 15 to 27, so you can go ahead and turn there before I read our scripture for us this morning, our text. But our message this morning will be entitled, <clears throat> Paul's Solitary Calling. Paul's Solitary Calling. I don't know if you've ever seen the bumper sticker. The one, with, the one who dies with the most toys wins. You've probably seen that. It's really a sad description of life when you stop and think about it. Yet in our day-to-day -day affairs, that's how we live oftentimes as people. We want to get everything we can get out of life right now. And there's some value to that. I mean, obviously it keeps us motivated <clears throat> for hard work, uh, for planning, for success. Yet as Christians, we're, we're called upon to think another way. Uh, we're called to give all you can give to life. Not get all you can take, but give all you can give. And in some, way, in some ways, that, that philosophy really boils down to the one who dies 
with the least toys wins. So long as he's given them in service to others. Uh, this passage brings this perspective to bear on our relationships with other people. Um, we should not seek our own rights. That's what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthian church. And our own privileges. But we should really seek the good of others. And it's really a universal belief, I think, among Americans and really anybody who's grown up in the Western world, that we should be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. And if anything has proven to be true with this pandemic going around and having to shelter in place, that that's not always true. And I think that as Christians in America, we, we really value our freedom. We value our freedom. We're often unwilling to give up those freedoms for anybody. Um, and when we are willing to give up our freedoms or our liberties, a lot of times we do frequently when it's to meet somebody else's physical needs. When it's to meet somebody else's physical needs. But when it comes to giving up our rights for someone's spiritual needs, well, that's a different story sometimes. And uh, one of the most sacred words growing up in America, really, is the word what? It's the word freedom. In America, our freedoms include the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've sang the, the lyrics to the songs, the land of the free, or let freedom ring. Those lyrics are dear to our hearts. Freedom is really, as a country, our highest good. Unfortunately, the premium that we place on our personal freedom or personal liberty oftentimes doesn't disappear when we come to Christ, when we become followers of Christ. In fact, we often transfer that sense of entitlement and freedom into our own faith as Christians. We think that we should follow Jesus any way we see fit, so long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, in this passage this morning before us, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul really says just the opposite. Uh, he really communicates that followers, are to, followers of Christ are to overcome their uh, devotion to their own personal freedoms and their own personal liberties. And that's what we want to look at today in our text. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, hopefully you're already there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we want to look at verses 15 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 to 27. Let's read the text. You can follow along in your Bibles, beginning in verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, 
so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its life-giving power to us. We thank you that it's true, that we hold in our hands the very truth of the word of God. We ask for you today, Father, to minister it to our hearts, our lives, through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us understand this text before us today. Lord, we are utterly dependent on your assistance for this. Thank you for your grace. Edify our hearts and our minds today. Build us up spiritually as only you and your word can. Uh, we've asked this morning, if there's anyone hearing this message or viewing this message who has yet to put their faith, their trust, their hope in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their personal savior, we ask, Lord, that you would cause them to repent, to turn from their sin, to turn from their sin to the Savior. We ask that you would do that even now. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're all holding up well uh, with your sheltering in place. Hopefully this will end soon and uh, we can be together as a body of Christ. You know, as I was studying this past week, I realized there's a lot of things that can bring harm to the church. There's a lot of things that can bring harm to the church. Paul addresses, as a matter of fact, many of those things in this letter to the church at Corinth. That's really why he wrote the letter, to address some hard issues with them. But there's things like pride and, and quarrels, uh, gossip, egos, etc., etc. But uh, sometimes we forget that even our own freedom in Christ, our own liberty in Christ, can harm the church when it's exercised without care or concern or, for that matter, love for the rest of the body of Christ. See, that's what was going on here in the church of Corinth. Uh, remember, last week we said they possessed a me mentality, not a we mentality. They were 
concerned about me, myself, and I. They didn't care about anybody else. The Corinthians were more concerned with their own rights, their own freedoms in Christ, which, by the way, were legitimate. But they were more concerned with those freedoms than how exercising those freedoms or those rights might affect others within the body of Christ. And so in verses 15 to 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul continues to illustrate this principle that love limits Christian liberty. We're free in Christ, we are. But you know what? That freedom should be limited by our love for Christ and for those who are in the church. Remember last week, Paul gave us seven reasons for his entitlement in the first 14 verses of chapter 9. He wanted to share with them that as an apostle, he was entitled to rights. And one of those rights was to be supported financially. <clears throat> he wanted them to understand that, you know what? Uh, just because I'm not taking any support from you doesn't mean that I'm, I, 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 it's not a right of mine to receive it. And so we discussed those seven things. We said, well, today he kind of doubles down on this. And in verse 15, you notice how he starts off this verse, but, B-U-T, but, but I made no use of any of these rights. So after stating his rights as an apostle in verses 1 through 14, he now states that he did not want to take advantage of these rights for any reason whatsoever. And so even though he listed all these reasons why he was entitled to these certain rights, now he's doubling down and he's saying, you know what, I don't want you to think that I'm doing this, I'm sharing this with you because now I want your support. Um, and that's why he says there in verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor, he says, am I writing these things to secure any such provision. In other words, don't think I'm trying to manipulate you, manipulate you into giving me some money for my spiritual work amongst you. That's not what Paul is saying. And, uh, you know, sometimes people are funny that way, right? Have you ever, and we've both probably been on both sides of this, but sometimes, you know, you, you, you try to give someone a gift, whatever it might be. And uh, you give them a gift, and what happens? Oh, you shouldn't have done it. Oh, I can't take this. You know, you didn't have to do that. You hear all these protests. And, you know, we've both been on both sides. I mean, I know people have tried to give me things. Oh, no, you can't do that. I mean, sometimes when I'm trying to give somebody something and they're protesting, I would love just to say, you know what, you know, after they're, oh, you didn't have to do that. Oh, I couldn't take that. Just go, all right, fine, and take it back and walk away. I, I've never done that to anybody. But sometimes you're kind of motivated to do that. Um, see, here Paul says even though he has the right, he wanted them to completely understand where he was coming from. He had the entitlement of their support, and yet he was refusing it. He was refusing it. He had never taken pay from any of those whom he had served, and he wasn't about to start now. And he wasn't asking for any kind of support in a disguised way. He wasn't trying to manipulate them at all. Um, as a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
verses 9 and 10, he points out to them, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are my witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he kind of says the same thing. He says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. He didn't even so much as take a piece of bread without giving him something. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. See, he would not accept so much as a free meal from anybody he was serving. Paul received support from the Thessalonians after he left them, after he wasn't ministering amongst them while he was ministering actually in Corinth. They supported him, but not while he was working among them. So now he's among the Corinthians and he says, that, you know what, I should, I'm entitled to receive support from you. But you know what? I'm not going to ask for it, and I don't want it. As a matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 11, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 to 11, here's what Paul says. He says, I robbed other churches. In other words, he took support from them by accepting support from them in order to serve you. This is what he's telling the Corinthians. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. For I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Paul's refusal to accept any kind of support or wage from those he was serving was really a result of deep conviction. Deep conviction. Now this isn't a mandate for pastors to work for free. Lest you misunderstand, that's not what Paul's saying. This was his own choice to do this. He had the ability to do this. And he had a deep conviction about it. I mean, and you, you can kind of understand where Paul's coming from if you think about it. Uh, I know that on, on Sundays when we're together and we take up an offering, usually before we pray for the offering, I'll always tell the congregation that, you know, this is for our members and regular attenders. That's who we expect to support the work of this ministry. If you're just visiting here with us today, don't worry about it. Just fill out the little bulletin information card and put that in there, and we're glad to have you with us. You don't need to, we're not looking to, for your support in any way. We, you're our guest. And we do that on a regular basis. Uh, we don't expect a visitor to feel obligated in any way to give. Now, that doesn't prohibit them from giving. If they want to give, let them give, right? But we want them to understand that it's their choice to do so. Think if we handle that differently on Sundays. We're together. We're about ready to take the offering. Maybe you invited a friend or a relative for the first time to church, and it came time for the offering. And I get up and I say, okay, you know what? We're going to take our offering, and we expect everybody to put something in the offering. So get your cash out, get your checks out, whatever it may be, and get ready because we're about ready to take the offering. And by the way, this isn't just for the regular attenders and members of our church. You visitors who are here, you're expected to put something in there too. 
And by the way, we'll be watching. I mean, can you imagine? You would be appalled. Uh, they would probably never return to a church like that. Or even if you went to the mission field and you served in a, a country somewhere and you, you, you went there and there were no believers. You started a Bible study and some, some of the, the people in the village came to Christ. And you had this little Bible study in your home on Wednesday nights. And you started discipling them. And after they became Christians, you sat them down and said, oh, by the way, um, you're going to have to start paying me to do this. I'm not going to do this for free. What would happen? Their whole idea of Christianity would be skewed. People who hadn't come to Christ yet would think, well, this guy's just here for the money. So here was Paul's attitude. Uh, he wouldn't hesitate to ask for money to serve others. If it was money for somebody else or something like that, or if he was serving another church and another church wanted to support him in, their, in his service of that church, he was fine with that. But he, he really, as a matter of fact, when the churches matured and the churches grew, you know, he, he expects them to pay those who minister the word of God to them. Uh, he points out so much but it, to, to Timothy, right? But on the other hand, when he was in a missionary mindset, maybe a, an area where there wasn't a church yet or these people hadn't come to Christ yet, it wouldn't be sensible to confuse money with the gospel. That's not what we want to do. And so he says, I made no use of any of these rights in verse 15. He had forfeited his right. This is his sacrifice, Paul's sacrifice. He forfeited his right to make an honest living from his ministry. As he was entitled to do, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. But he, he wanted them to understand, and he, he didn't want them to misunderstand what he was saying. He said, hey, I didn't use any of these rights, and I'm not bringing this up so that my mind is changed and now I expect you to pay me. As a matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 15. He says, for I would rather die. This amazing thing about this, when you study the other apostles, they all receive some form of support. We don't have any other record in the New Testament of any other apostle, any other evangelist, prophet, anything that did what Paul did here. We have no idea that any of them ever refused support like Paul did. Uh, in verse 5, you see here, last week we looked at this. He says, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Peter did, the apostles did. Brothers and the Lord did. They accepted report. They took along a believing wife. And Paul seems to be the only one who refused that kind of support. I mean, why did he fail to exercise this right? Everybody else took him up on that right. But Paul didn't. He didn't exercise it. And I think it's kind of simplistic, but the other apostles, the other men were ministering in predominantly Jewish areas. But what do we know Paul as? Paul is the apostle to who? The Gentiles, right? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And the Jewish mentality was accustomed to the fact that the priest of God or the man of God would be supported out of the priesthood. 
out of his ministry. That was just the way it worked. So they were used to that idea. That's been that way throughout the entire Old Testament. And so when the apostles came along and the, the, the brothers came along, whoever, that was just a natural reaction. Well, we got to support these guys. And when they had needs, the people of God knew that God always had supported those who ministered to the church in this way. This was God's economy. There wasn't a problem with it. But when you came to someone who hadn't been in the church or any kind of background as far as Christianity or God is concerned, as a matter of fact, if there were Gentiles, well, it was a whole new ballgame. Because all they knew about was their pagan priests who basically would misuse them and mistreat them and overcharge them, take advantage of them, who basically got fat off their hard-earned money because of their pagan religion. And so I think maybe that's a distinction. The, other, the others were ministering primarily to Jewish communities, and Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so, you know, the Gentiles didn't have that kind of background like the Jews did. So they would grow very uh, suspect of someone who came in and said, oh, you know, aren't you going to support me? And that's why he says there, I would rather die it's, it's then then uh, anyone deprive me of this boast. He, he says that, and I would rather die is really an excl exclamation. It's really just a, a thought that just pops out of, his, out of his mouth. He says, don't think I'm writing this stuff to secure anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I would rather die. That's what he says. That's how strong he felt about this. Then he says no one, he doesn't want anybody to deprive him of my ground for boasting. You say, what's he talking about here? I thought it was wrong to boast. Well, sometimes it is, if there's pride involved. But if you're boasting in the right thing, there's nothing wrong with that. So he could not, you know, boast in his own abilities or boast in this or boast in that. It wasn't sinful boasting, uh, because boasting can be a horrific sin, but it can also be a very righteous act when you think about it. It depends on why you're boasting. A little bit about that, that word, it's used 11 times in the New Testament. This is kind of interesting. And five of those 11 times, it's not translated boasting, it's translated rejoicing. Isn't that interesting? It kind of softens that word boast, doesn't it? Rejoicing, boast. In other words, you know, it isn't like Paul's saying, well, you know, I want to brag about this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? I want to tell you what just thrills me to death about the ministry that I have. The one thing that I have a special joy that I can do for the Lord that I have chosen to do. And it's just such a wonderful source of, of rejoicing for me. I'll never give it up. I'd rather die. That's what he's saying. And you say, well, what, what is this? <laughs> what is Paul talking about? Maybe it's him preaching the gospel. Maybe it's the gospel, right? No, it's not that. You mean, Paul, you, you don't ghost in, boast in the gospel? No, he, he's not talking about that. He definitely had a sense of rejoicing in the gospel, but here he's referring to something else. There's something special that he's contributed to his ministry that he gets really excited about. 
And it isn't the gospel. How do we know? Because he had nothing to do with the gospel. God gave him the gospel. It's not like Paul just came up with the gospel. So he says, for if I preach the gospel in verse 16, that gives me of no ground for boasting. And you say, well, maybe it was his preaching that was cause for rejoicing and boasting. No, it's not that, because he says, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. Remember how Paul got involved in this whole thing. It wasn't like Paul grew up in this nice little Christian family and, oh, I want to go to seminary one day and go be a pastor. No. He grew up as a Pharisee. He grew up in a Jewish background. And so what happened to him? He was on the road to Damascus. We talked about this last week. He was on his way to kill Christians. And what happened? God basically knocked him down, caused him to go blind, and said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And then God saved him. That's how he got involved in this whole thing. You know, I had a pastor tell me one time, if there's any possibility you can do anything else other than ministry, do it. Do it. Because this is not for the faint of heart. And I didn't know what he was talking about then. But so many years later, I kind of have a good idea. So Paul here says, I was willing to sacrifice. I made no use of any of these rights. And I'm not trying to work my way into your, your wallet. He's basically pointing that out there. I'm willing to sacrifice. And then he says in verse 16 to 18, he talks about his motivation. He says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. He has to do it. That's what a calling's about. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I still have to do it. He says, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. And then he says, what then is my reward? Verse 18, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What's he talking about here? Well, the stewardship God has given to him is to preach and teach his word. See that word stewardship? That's what that is, but that's not what's exciting him here. That's not it. He says, I have to do that. In verse 18, he asks the question, what is this reward? What does motivate me? What's this thing that Gives me a thrill. That when I preach the gospel, guess what? I don't have to charge anybody. I don't have to charge anybody. See, God never told Paul to do that. He just chose to do that. He said, you know what? As long as I serve, I'm not going to require anybody to support me in any way. As a matter of fact, I'm going to resist it for the people that I'm serving at the time. Now remember, there are other churches that supported Paul for his work in Corinth, but not the Corinthian church 
or when he was in Thessalonica. He worked hard and supported himself. There's a lot of people, beloved, in ministry that minister that way. For years, this is really the first church I've been in that actually I've been on staff full time. In other words, this is what I do 24-7, pastor the church. But for years, I would work two or three other jobs to support myself in ministry as a youth pastor, associate pastor. And you know what? The good thing is, is if the giving dried up and, and I had to support myself, you know what? I could do it. And I'd be more than willing to do it. See, that's, it's a heart. It's a matter of the heart. And that's what Paul's saying is, I chose to do this. I chose to give this up. And that's what motivates me. It's a blessing. His reward is the idea that, you know what? I'm doing this for free. It's not costing you anything. Paul forfeited his right to be paid so the gospel might have greater success. So that they couldn't point their finger at Paul and say, oh, you're just here for the money. He didn't want anything to interfere with the message of the gospel. Well, we also see his servanthood, not just his sacrifice, his motivation, but in verses 19 to 23, we see his servanthood. Look at what he says here in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all, we are free from all in Christ. We have full liberty in Christ. He says, I have made myself a servant to all. Wow. Can you imagine that? Having expressed freedom to do whatever you want and yet choosing not to do it for the sake of the gospel. See, he wants the Corinthians to pay attention here because that's the last thing they were thinking of. They were thinking of themselves. That's all they were thinking of. And so we see here that first of all, he, he talks about Jews, he says his motivation or his um, servanthood here is based on his motivation to win more people to Christ. He says, for though I am free from all, <clears throat> I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Win more of them how? To Christ. Paul was an extreme evangelist. He wanted to see people come to Christ. We should all have that desire, that passion. We should all have sleepless nights wondering how we can better evangelize those around us who are lost. And he says here in verse 20, he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Well, what's he saying here? He's saying basically that, you know what? Um, Paul wanted people to come to Christ, and he was willing to do whatever it took, as long as it wasn't sinful, to make that happen. And that's what he points out here. First of all, he mentions three groups. He mentions the Jews. He was a Jew, and so he probably would highlight that when he would run into a Jewish person. Oh, I'm Jewish. <laughs> to those under the law, those who were those legalistic Jews that lived and died by the law, he says, that's fine. I became as one under the law. Look at what he says, though. It probably has brackets on, in, your, in your Bible. Though not 
being myself under the law. See, he doesn't want us to get confused here. He's not saying, oh, you got to live under the law. He's just saying if he ran into somebody that lived that way, you know, constantly quoting the Ten Commandments or whatever, he wanted to make sure that, hey, I want to make sure my life is in a line <laughs> so this guy can't point at me and say, oh, how can you tell me this? You're breaking the law. And I follow the law. So he says, I'm not under the law, but I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll become as one under the law that I might win those under the law. And then he says, to those outside the law, who's that? That's the Gentiles. Those who didn't have any upbringing with God's law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Then he once again qualifies it. He says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. See, a lot of times Christians come to Christ, they come to, people come to Christ, and when they come to Jesus Christ, they, they think they're free to do whatever they want. Well, I have freedom in Christ. I can go do whatever. Well, you really can't. You're still held to God's law. It's still sinful to lie as a Christian. It's still sinful to commit adultery or to get drunk. All those things are wrong in God's eyes. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. They're still wrong. So he says here, I become a Jew to the Jews. And that's really what his desire, he wanted his people to come to Christ. Uh, he, he really, really wanted that bad. As a matter of fact, in one text he says, for I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, if there was a way that somehow I could exchange my saved life for their unsaved life, I'd do it in a second. That's how passionate Paul was. They have some ceremonial regulations. They observe special days here and there. Maybe they refrain from eating certain foods, whatever it might be. See, those things would help win those under the law. But when he tried to reach out to the Gentiles... He changed his whole approach. But he says, you know what? I, I want to win not just the Jews, but I want to win the Gentiles. I want to win those who are outside of the law of God. I mean, if he was willing to do that for the sake of his fellow Jews, he could definitely look at the Gentiles and go, okay, what do they got going on? So to the Jews, I became a Jew. To those who are without the law, as without the law, he was willing to do whatever he could to reach the people around him. He was willing to live like a Gentile when he worked among the Gentiles. You know, it's kind of like today, if you're talking to somebody who's really into sports, you're probably not going to talk to him about knitting. All right, what are you going to do? You're going to try to find some common ground. Even if you don't know anything about sports, maybe you'll ask them some questions about sports. You know, when I go back to Pennsylvania once in a while, a lot of people back there are into hunting, fishing. You know, I've fished some. I really haven't hunted that much, but I don't know that much about that stuff anymore. But if they talk about it, I act interested. I know enough to at least carry a conversation. Why? 
It's not that I want to talk to him about fishing and hunting. It's that I want to somehow steer the conversation for the cause of the gospel. To befriend them so that I could share Christ with them. And he did that with the Jews. He did that with the Gentiles. He's not telling us here that we need to ignore God's moral law. It's a sin to commit murder. Whether you're a believer or not. It's wrong. But he says, you know what? To the Jews I become a Jew. To those under the law I became as one under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, that's fine. I became as one outside the law. That I might win those outside the law. And the last group here he lists is to the weak I became weak. That I might win the weak. Even those who may not have had the capacity to understand what he was teaching. Whether they were Jew or Gentile. What did Paul do? Paul just didn't say, well, if you can't understand it, you know, lighter. No, he spent extra time. He became as weak to those people. What it's really saying is he, he, he got down on their level. You know, I think, I, I never appreciate when I'm talking to somebody and they're talking in terms that I do not understand. And so every other word, they're constantly defining the meaning of the word because they're such grandiose words. They want to impress you with their vocabulary. I just think that's ridiculous. Let's, let's just talk like normal human beings. And so in summary here, he says, I became all things to all men. Why? Why is that so important to Paul? He says in verse 22, the end there, that by all means I might save some. Not all, but some. Paul did whatever, he was willing to do whatever it took to reach those around him for the cause of Christ. And if that meant sacrificing some of his rights or his liberties, he was fine with that. He was fine with that. He could never set aside the truth of the gospel. He would never compromise the gospel. See, the problem today in churches is they'll quote these verses and they'll say, yeah, that's why we're becoming all things to all people. That's why when you come to church on a Sunday morning, it's kind of like a, a rock concert. <laughs> you got smoke and lights and music. And then you got a little five-minute, ten-minute section for the pastor to get up and share a nice little devotional. Well, that's dumbing down the things of God. That's not, that's just opening the floodgates of the church to the world. We don't want to do that. He's not saying compromise. He's saying, you know what? In a way that you can, relate to people. He didn't want to offend a Jew. He didn't want to offend a Gentile. He didn't want to offend those who are weak in maybe their understanding. So what did he do? He would change the way he would approach those individuals. But he would never change what he would share as far as the truth goes. If the truth offends someone, if someone is offended by God's word, that's not my problem, that's their problem. If they're offended by biblical doctrine or standards or church discipline, that's not my problem, that's their problem. But you don't want to go out of your way to be offensive to people just for the sake of being offensive because that's going to turn people away from the gospel, not draw them to it. And so we need to be sensitive 
as we live even, especially in our society today, of how we deal with people, how we share the word of God with people, how we talk to people about their faith. Paul's life was centered on living out the gospel and preaching and teaching the gospel. Nothing else mattered to him. That was it. Matter of fact, he says, I do all things for the sake of what? For the sake of the gospel. And he wanted to set aside anything in his life that would hinder it or cause someone, cause his ministry or his witness to be ineffective. And so he was very clear, and he, he uses an illustration here. Um, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I may be a fellow partaker, a joint sharer in the benefits and blessings of the gospel. And they're too numerous to, to list here, but you can do your own study on that, the blessings and the benefits of the gospel. He wanted these people to hear the gospel so they could be in the family of God. So we've seen Paul sacrifice his motivation, his servanthood, and now he uses an illustration, Paul's illustration in verse 24. He brings up this, this fact. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run? You're, you're like, yeah, thanks, Mr. Obvious. If there's a race and you're a runner in the race, you should be running, not walking, right? What's his point? He says, but only one receives the prize. See, it's not like our modern day sports in our society today where everybody gets a trophy. That, that's not reality. You know, you have winners and you have losers. Um, sheltering your, your children from that sad reality doesn't do them any good, <laughs> We see that with the culture we live in today. So he says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize? What's he saying? He's, saying? he's telling the Corinthians, so run that you may obtain the prize. In other words, have some passion about what you're doing for Christ. You're not out there on the track limping around. Verse 25, he uses the idea of a runner. Every uh, runner runs. He says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. He talks about the runner having a prize. He talks about the athlete getting the wreath. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. What's he telling the Corinthians here? He's saying, look... You know, you're in the race as a believer. You're not sitting up on the stand. You're down on the track. See, the good thing about the Christian race is that if you simply abide by the rules that are set before us and run with everything you have, you'll win because you're not running against other people. The Christian race is run solely for the Lord. You don't stop and compare your notes with somebody else. So he says, run that you may obtain it. Exercise some self-control. Now, the Corinthians totally got this language. They totally understood what Paul was saying because they loved athletics. They sponsored the, the Isthmian Games. 
They had the Olympic Games. They were right there in Corinth. And so when you stop and think about it, these people really understood what Paul was saying. They had the opportunity to observe the games. They had the opportunity to observe the athletes before the games. They were out there practicing. These games were a big deal. It's kind of like our Olympics today. They had basically six events. They had wrestling, jumping, javelin, discus throwing, racing, and boxing. And the competitors of these Olympic games especially were required for train at least 10 months before the games in order to qualify. And it was all documented and they were all observed. You couldn't cheat. They had very strict training. They had very strict rules as far as disqualification. And when you won one of these races, I mean, it was like putting that gold medal around your, your neck. You were like an Olympian warrior. Winners received crowns either of pine or celery, history tells us. Think about that. You're putting all this work in. I mean, at least today you get you know, this little gold, gold medal or whatever it might be. But back then they'd get a, a, a reef of a, a, a crown of celery or, or pine needles. I mean, both of those are so perishable. Here today, gone tomorrow, I guess. But it's important that we understand here that Paul is using this illustration because he wants us to understand that this is serious business. Our work for Christ, it's a race. Are we willing to become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel that we may win some? Are we in the race? Are we running with everything we have? Or are we stopping along the way and pulling up a chair and relaxing a little bit and taking a sip of this or a sip of that? That's not how you win a race. And an athlete, when he's training, I mean, what is he doing? He's disciplining his body. He's saying no to his body. You know, today we don't say no to our body. That's the problem with most of us. See, there's a great difference between these races that Paul's referring to in the Christian race. Every Christian who will pay the price of careful training can win this race. We're all on the, the same level because we don't compete against each other, as I always said. But we have obstacles, physical, spiritual obstacles that could possibly hinder our race. And we have to stay focused on the finish line. Every Christian runs their own race. And each one of us, we can be a winner in the race of winning souls for Christ. But he says, run in such a way that you may win. Don't hop around the tra track on one leg. That's not going to not going to help. And see, when you hold on to your freedoms in Christ, when you hold on to those liberties tightly, and you're unsure to let, you're, you're unwilling to let them go, what happens? That's what happened to a lot of the Corinthian believers. The Corinthian Christians seriously limited their testimony because they would not limit their liberty. 
out of the greater good for those around them. They refused to give up their rights, and in doing so, they won few for Christ, but they offended many. They offended many. And that's not what Paul wants us to do. And so he uses this as an illustration. Notice there it says they do all this for a perishable crown, a wreath that goes on their head, and we do it for an imperishable. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Paul writes, he says, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on that day. See, when we run, we should run in order to receive that award. Or in 1 Peter 1.15, it talks about our inheritance as believers. And it says, it's an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven. It's not like that reef where the needles are going to fall off or the celery is going to weep, uh, wilt. It's not like that. It's an imperishable reward. An imperishable inheritance that we have. No Christian will really be, I think, successful in witnessing for Christ without some form of discipline in their life. I mean, think about it. Every good thing we accomplish, whether it's in learning or business or music or uh, marriage, spiritual living even, witnessing, whatever it might do, be, is accomplished through what? It's, it's accomplished through discipline and self-control. And see, if an athlete or a runner expects to excel, they voluntarily, severely limit themselves. They eat certain things. They exercise. They, their, times, their time limits are, are, are limited. They can't go out and do what other people are doing. Why? Because they're training for something. See, that's how we should view this race. We're in it. But are we, are we training ourselves daily to become better soul winners, better people more adept at sharing Christ with those around us. Well, we also see here Paul's example in verses 26 to 27, in closing. He says, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. It talks about his determination. He, he's not aimless in his task. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He's not out there half-heartedly just kind of running around in circles. You see people sometimes who run their lives this way. You see people, Christians sometimes, that, that almost do the same thing. They're out of shape. They do nothing to prepare themselves for witnessing or for discipleship. See, Paul had a purpose in his running this race. He was not running just out there wandering around the, the track. He had a goal in mind. And his goal, he states it there in four times in verses 19 to 22, was to win as many people to Jesus Christ as possible by any means possible. That's why this message is called Paul's solitary calling. He understood what God wanted him to do. He had determination. Secondly, it says here that not beating the air... Paul says, I'm not like somebody's out there boxing, shadow boxing, just beating the air. I don't run aimlessly, and I don't box as one beating the air. In other words, he has direction, not just determination, but he's got direction. 
He was always fighting the real fight. And sometimes I think we forget that. That there are people all around us who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a real fight we're in. And it's a good fight. 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul designates it as a good fight. See, Paul wasn't just out there shadow boxing, working up a sweat. But he was engaging in a real battle. And sometimes we forget that our Christian lives are a battle. They're a battle. And then thirdly here, not just determination and direction, but he says discipline. Look at what he says. He says, but I discipline my body. That word in the original language, you know what it means? It means basically to give yourself a black eye. That's, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm willing to knock myself out if I have to through the discipline of my body. I'm not going to allow it to win this race. I'm not going to allow my body to be so out of control that I'll lose the race. I want to discipline my body. I want to keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, look at what he says, I myself should be disqualified. See, today, most people, including Christians, instead of uh, slaves to Christ, they're really slaves to their bodies. Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies decide when to eat, how much to eat, what to eat, when to sleep, when to get up. See, if you're an athlete or a runner, you can't, you can't allow that. You have to tell your body what to do. An athlete follows the rules, the training rules. He doesn't wake up the second day of training saying, well, I'm sore today. I don't want to do it. No, he can't do that. You got to go. And you got to do whatever is possible to prepare yourself to win that race or win that event. And this is what Paul is saying here. He says, basically, the sum goal in the end is I want to serve everybody and I want to do so in a way that doesn't disqualify me from, from ministry. And I'm praying that God will allow some to be saved as a result of that. That's his sum goal. No disqualification. Serve all. Save some. It's a very daunting task when you think about it. But that's what Paul wanted. That's what his Life was driven by, was his passion for the gospel. His passion for seeing others come to Christ. I pray that we share that passion. That we too can say, you know what? This is our solitary calling as well. That we want to live our lives in such a way that we exemplify Christ in such a way to this lost and dying world all around us that they will be drawn to Christ. Not just by our words. Not just by our lips, but by our lives. And I know that people watch us as believers. People watch us all the time. And so we have to be careful that we're not using our liberties, our freedoms in Christ, to hinder those 
who may come to Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as the Apostle Paul laid down a wonderful example of his own life, a life of sacrifice, a life that was motivated by what was good, that he was willing to serve all. He wasn't demanding his rights. He was willing to work hard. Why, Lord? It was all for the gospel. It was all to share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ with those around him. And Lord, I pray that as we live our lives each day here in this world, that we would be careful the way we live. Yeah, we are free in Christ. We have many liberties in Christ. But we also should be careful when we're around people that we're not doing anything to harm the cause of Christ. We're not doing anything that would put a hindrance or a stumbling block in someone's path. And Lord, none of us are perfect. We all fall in this area myriad of times. But Lord, we know that without a doubt, you're there to pick us up and to get us back on the track so that we can continue to run this race. And Lord, I just pray that as we cross that finish line one day, that we will be able to have many people clinging to us as we go into heaven. Because they too heard of the Savior. They too embraced the Savior. And as a result of our witness, as a result of God using us in that wonderful plan of salvation, that he would be willing to allow us to share the gospel with those around us so that some may be saved. If you're listening to this message right now and you've yet to cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you've yet to acknowledge your sinful sinfulness before a holy God, even now you can do that. You can cry out to him. Just cry out from the depth of your heart, Lord, save me. I don't have anywhere else to go. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Just acknowledge to him that you know that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected. He paid for your sins on that cross. And now that you want to follow him, you want to set your agenda aside and follow his. He'll save you if you're, you're crying out to him from a sincere heart. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless our country, bless our leadership. Pray that you would give them wisdom as to best when to open up our country again, and Lord, we look so much forward to gathering together as the body of Christ in person. And Lord, I pray that when that day comes, that it would be a wonderful celebration that we could share our lives together once again. We thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.